Hey, and welcome to Hypnotize Me, the podcast about hypnosis, transformation, and healing. This is Dr. Elizabeth Bonet, and I'm your host. This podcast is not a substitute for mental health treatment, nor should it be. If you need therapy or hypnotherapy, please seek a trained professional. I do hypnosis all over the world, so if you'd like to learn more about me, you can do that at my website, drlizhypnosis.com. That's D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. Now on to our episode. everyone, Dr. Liz here. I just did an interview for the Mindful Matters podcast. The host of that is Christopher Griffin. And it was just so much fun to talk about parenting and mindfulness that it really inspired me to do an episode on my own podcast. And I will definitely let you know when the other one comes out. I usually put all of that on my Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and blog and, you know, all of those media channels, right? I like to uh, publicize whenever I'm on someone else's podcast because it's nice. It's such a, a privilege, I feel, to be a guest on someone else's. Before I continue, I want to thank you for your support of this podcast and everyone who shares it and tweets it and retweets all that stuff. It really does make a difference to me and I do like it and I appreciate it. I really appreciate your loyalty and the fact that you want to share the information with your friends so that they learn more and more about hypnosis and mindfulness and transformation and healing. Like what a wonderful thing to do, right? To help a friend that way. So this week, I thought I would talk about my experience in mindful parenting. Okay, So this has been a journey for me without a doubt. I started teaching yoga even before I had kids and got certified a couple of months actually before I got pregnant with my first child, the blue haired teen, who now has pink hair, by the way, like pinkish purplish. She totally looks like a My Little Pony doll, which is like, I can't help but think that her huge collection of My Little Pony dolls as a child perhaps influenced her teen years. But that's a side note. So the pink haired teen, I started teaching before I had her, but then quickly moved into teaching prenatal yoga often some of that breathing would translate into my parenting in those early years. But I didn't truly start meditating on a regular basis until she was probably a bit older. So I've meditated for over 20 years. I started in my early 20s meditating. And then that became more so when I got into yoga and started teaching yoga and became certified to do that. Absolutely. But there's also been like months, periods of months where I didn't do any. Often that was when I was very overwhelmed in early motherhood. Like meditation was about the furthest thing from my mind. And then as my kids grew up, I began to get back to it more. Now, I want to say that if I had been able to do that in early motherhood, I think it totally would have helped. But my concept of it at the time was that I had to do longer meditation than now what I even recommend to my moms. So I recommend, hey, try to do five minutes. Try to do 10 minutes if you can. Try to do two minutes. Like seriously, once you say, okay, you know, I'm just going to do two minutes of meditation while the baby sleeps in the back of the car or while I'm waiting in the car line to pick up my other child or wherever that is, then often you'll go a little bit longer because you'll be able to shift 
into that energy flow, shift into that mindset. And it feels good. Like it feels good to shift into that mindset. And then you do feel more centered so that you could be more present for your kids. Mindful parenting has this concept of the observer and the participant. So when you're the participant, you are like in it with your kid. Okay. This is when let's say they're throwing a tantrum and you are just frustrated and sort of going out of your mind thinking like, what can I do here? And what did I do to set this off? And what can I do to get them to stop? That's often the feeling of parents. What can I do to get this to stop, right? This is awful. They're throwing themselves on the ground or they're running around the house crying and throwing things and hitting or whatever they're doing. How can I stop this? So when you're in that mode, you are the participant. When you can step back and be the observer, then that's a whole different feeling. Hey, okay? and I do want to say that it feels a little bit better. Okay. I don't often like to, um, say better or worse in parenting, but at the same time, there's things that feel better, right? Like, okay. Yeah. I felt like I did a good job there. Or I felt like I, was able to communicate my own parenting values, or I felt like I could be the parent that I really want to be, that I imagine in my head. So when you're in that mode, that does feel better than when you're like, oh my God, I totally messed that one up, (laughs) right? Like totally messed that one up. That's a whole different feeling. So when you can step back and be the observer, what I was talking about with Chris is that that actually is when you do feel like the parent. So the observer sees the toddler throwing the tantrum and says, oh, let's see. Perhaps nothing I did actually caused this. Perhaps they're a toddler and they're trying to dispel some energy or they are frustrated because they didn't get what they want and there's nothing wrong with them not getting what they want. They just couldn't get it. They couldn't eat the cupcake at 2 p.m. when you're about to feed them a meal, right? So they have to wait or they're tired, or they're hungry, or it's been a long day for them, or they really need to get out to the park and I haven't taken them out because there's three feet of snow outside and I wish I could. So that's the observer looking at everything and saying, okay, this is what's happening. Now, how can I be compassionate towards them? How can I work to help them through this. And sometimes that means just sitting beside them or letting them know that you're close. So you can't always sit beside them depending on what they're doing. Some kids don't even want you beside them. They don't want to be touched or spoken to sometimes. So you can just let them know, oh, you know, mommy or daddy is going to be right over here. And when you need me, I'll be here. And that's a very different energy when you can shift into that and feel centered and feel like you're available to them, but you're not going to be in this with them. You're a grown up, right? You're the parent, like you're going to be a resource for them. And that's actually very comforting to a child that there's no screaming going on or yelling at them or even let's say crying. I doubt totally. I totally remember some instances when my kids were little and I would start to cry. I was so frustrated. I didn't know what to do. And I'd start to cry. And even now I have compassion for myself around that. I'm not judging that. Sometimes that's just what the body needs. It's an expression. It's a cleansing. But those are moments where you're like, I have no idea what to do here. You're in it with them. You are the participant in that moment. 
versus being able to say, okay, I know you're going through this and I'm going to be a resource to you however I can. And let me know when you want me to hold you, comfort you, talk to you, do any of that. So this brings up another issue in parenting that I talk about a lot, actually, is that sometimes a child will do something that they're not supposed to do, and then they'll turn to the parent for comfort. And there's many, many parents who feel like, oh, if I give comfort, then I'm letting them know that what they did was okay. And if I could give you one message, it's that that's not the case. That when a child is turning to you in comfort, that is what they need. You are their comfort object. You are the parent. So give that to them. You can be the soft place for them to land. You can be the soft, squishy one for them, right? That is who you are generally. And the more that you could step into that and realize that, of course, they're upset. You are their comfort object, if you want to put it in like analytical terms. You are the comfort object. You're the only one there often that they can seek comfort from. Sometimes they have a little stuffy or stuffed animal or that they can seek comfort from, or sometimes they like to go in their room and, or read a book. Like there's different ways, depending on how old they are for them to seek comfort, but often you're it. I would encourage you to give them that comfort and continue to talk to them if you want to or not. Either way is okay, but just say, yeah, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. What you did is not all right, but everything's going to be okay. We're in this together. So at that point, it's like you are the participant and the observer, right? Like you're the participant in comfort, but you're also the observer knowing this is what this child needs right now. And I have the ability to give it. If you do, if you truly don't feel like you can do that and you're not in the place to really truly give comfort, then by all means, wait until you move into that space. Okay, wait until you move into that space psychologically. So that's another mindful shift that happens in parenting is that sometimes you are in a like a really awful space. Sometimes you're angry or just upset or frustrated or tired yourself. Like my kids know when I'm tired at night and sometimes they'll tell me like, oh, you know, you're getting grumpy. And I'm like, oh yes, I totally am. I'm losing my patience. Thank you. I need to go to bed. Like they're older now. They stay up later than I do because I have to get up super early in the morning before they do to get everything ready before I take them to school. So sometimes that's a cue for me. So when you realize that, then you're able to, I think, control it more. Like, oh, the realization comes over you of like, oh no, I'm in like sort of an awful place here emotionally, or I'm just tired or whatever that is. And I have a choice. I can either shift into a better state so that I'm present for them, or I can go and do something that I need to do to be able to do that. And I get it that sometimes you can't go off and do something. Sometimes you have to shift in the moment. And I think this is where meditation and mindfulness comes in. It helps you shift in the moment more easily. I believe that it helps center you over time. So you're not as easily frustrated, even over time, your threshold sort of comes down in terms of that. And that can be really helpful as a parent, right? That you're not triggered as much that that need to yell sort of 
disappears almost completely. I'll say, I mean, for some parents, I'm sure it disappears completely. For me, it's almost completely. Okay. I still occasionally like lose it. Like, oh my God. But it's that awareness. Like I just lost it. All right. Now I have to go and apologize or do whatever I need to do to get myself back into a good state here. And you're able to shift into that and do that more easily over time. I believe when your threshold of frustration is is much higher, right? Like you can tolerate a whole lot more before you reach that place of like, oh geez, now I'm about to lose it, (laughs) right? So I do recommend meditation as a skill to develop that over time. Yoga can also help if you go to a regular yoga class, because that is like a body meditation is how I see it often, depending on what kind of yoga it is. Working out does that for some people. Like, nope, they have to work out because they know that then they can tolerate much more during the day. They feel more centered. They feel more calm. Sometimes a simple walk can do that. So I just told this story of, I don't even remember what we were fighting about, but my teen and I were fighting about something, the pink-haired teen. And I stopped and I said, I'm going to take a dog for a walk. And she's like, okay. And so I did. I took the dog for a walk around the block, got myself back to a better place. And when I walked back in the house, she said, oh, are you calmer now? And I said, yeah, actually I am. I'm calmer now and we can continue talking about this. So there's all kinds of ways to access that. When you have little kids, you can't often take the dog for a walk, right? Or you have to take them with you. Like you have to take them around the block with you, (laughs) you know? Um, You have to do something though to like change up that energy. And I think when you're able to move into that observer role as a parent, like, wait a minute, what's going on here? I'm somehow arguing with whether that's a two-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old. I'm in this. You're able to see that and then say, wait a minute, I don't want to be in this. I don't want to be handling this this way. So let me step back and take a moment to shift into the parent you do want to be, to shift into a more mindful, present parent of like, okay, what does this child need in the moment? What do I need in the moment? And then how do we make these two things come together so that we have a better experience together, so that we have a happier experience together? So that's a little bit about that whole concept of observer participant. Now, If you feel like you're constantly getting triggered by a particular thing, I really believe that that's something to look at on a deeper level. So let's say that your observer realizes, oh, I am always triggered. I always lose it when my child does this. Okay, so maybe that's when they bite you or they try to hit you when they're little. I had one child who was a biter. I think my little one, Eva used to bite me. She never bit anybody else, which I was totally grateful for. Okay. She only bit me. (laughs) So I was like, all right, but it used to totally trigger me. Like here I am taking care of you all day and you're biting me, right? Like this is just not cool with me. And I honestly don't even remember how that biting behavior stopped, (laughs) but it did eventually stop. So there's hope for you if you have a biter. But I continued to get triggered by it. And so then I had to go and do some personal work around it. Meaning, talk to friends, talk to my therapist, see what was going on that really triggered me so much when she would bite me. Now, sometimes hypnosis can be useful for that. 
if you want to do inner child work and go back and see, okay, I have some healing to do for myself around the way I was treated as a child, around the way that my parents disciplined me, or maybe around the way that my parents neglected me, how perhaps I was ignored or abandoned or some of that stuff. Hypnosis can be helpful for that. Talk therapy can be too. So there is a percentage of my practice where we just do talk therapy. I work a lot with parents and in particular professional mothers, mothers who are working through some of these own issues, their own parenting that they got so that they can be better parents. And we work on recognizing when are you triggered by your children? Like when does it feel like it's going deeper than just as a surface level, like, oh, they're frustrated and sort of, you know, they say something nasty to you or something like that. And you're like, whatever, (laughs) right? They're kids. All right, let's continue with our day. Versus this whole feeling of being hurt and feeling like this is deeper. This has to do something with perhaps the way that you were raised. So we do that work in my practice. It's a good percentage of people where we do traditional talk therapy. And sometimes we'll put in a session of hypnosis in there. So it's not ongoing hypnosis that we're doing at every session, but occasionally we'll say, okay, do you want to do hypnosis around this and discover what's going on or get some more insight into what's going on? Or do you need a hypnosis so that you can feel more centered? Or perhaps you're not sleeping well at night and we'll do hypnosis just for sleep, right? I love doing insomnia work, (laughs) like absolutely love it. So we'll do that kind of thing. So hypnosis is used more as a tool in that case versus what I call a primary treatment for IBS or migraines or chronic conditions where they're coming in particularly for hypnosis. And that is the focus of the session. So that's just a little bit about mindful parenting that I wanted to share today to hopefully help someone out there. Also, right before I go, I do have an ebook that you can get on Amazon for the Kindle that is called There Goes the Brainstem. Tales from Early Motherhood. That is all about my early motherhood years. And it's just this short little book. It lists for like $4.99 or something. It's a very quick read with some tips in between the chapters. But if you want to check that out, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. All right, people, have a wonderful week. Peace. I hope you truly enjoyed today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com. D-R-L-I-C hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis.